Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype right to the heart of the big issues of the day. Today on the programme, we're once again checking in with our good friend Paul Donovan, Chief Economist in UBS Global Wealth Management here in London. This week is another of those editions where we're asking Paul to unpack one of his recent blog posts and dive a little deeper into the theme for us. Our topic today is, appropriately perhaps following Pride Month, corporate pride. Corporate involvement in June's events has long seemed to attract controversy and enthusiasm in almost equal measure, but there are some differences to the tone and the source of some of the specific criticism this year thus making it particularly interesting to hear from Paul on the detail of that and to get his take. Let's do it. It's a pleasure to welcome Paul back to the programme. Paul Donovan, always great to speak with you. And we're going to talk a little about this blog on the impact of of corporate pride. But first, just a reflection, because I know um, your followers on social media and in other places, people who read your your writings will probably have, have noted once again some of your thoughts that you recorded around Pride Weekend. And I guess, encouragingly, to a degree, the Tony strike is often quite optimistic. Isn't it remarkable that we get buy-in from so many different institutions? And it's very, very different than even, well, probably even 10 years ago, certainly 20 or more. Shall we just start with some positive reflections on, on Pride Weekend? Yes, I think there is a lot of things to be positive about. I mean, it's very easy to get seduced by the bad news headlines. And there is also a lot of bad news around inclusion and acceptance and and so on. But I think that what we are seeing more and more is that companies and society at large is recognizing that, you know, people are people and everyone is entitled to the sort of the same level of dignity, the same level of opportunity and and so on. And corporate pride's involvement is is a manifestation of that, I think, uh, which is something to be celebrated. And I think it's very important because, you know, as, as we start to get more and more inclusion and diversity in the workplace, it sort of creates a virtuous cycle because you know, the more you know about people from different backgrounds, the less likely you are to be prejudiced. And the workplace is a very important part of that whole process. It is indeed. Um, But I guess one of the issues, uh, or historically certainly with corporate involvement in things like Pride Month or specific Pride events, is this suggestion of uh, pinkwashing, if you want to call it that, the idea that companies are kind of getting involved whilst the focus is there, but then actually the support wanes or or disappears altogether uh, through the rest of the year in terms of servicing that that greater inclusion – that has been the case again this year, and the criticism has come from some of the same sources, but also from some others. Yes, and I, I think that there is a distinction to be made. I mean, sadly, there are undoubtedly some organisations that treat diversity and inclusion, and pride specifically, as a marketing exercise. You know, you douse yourself in rainbow glitter for the month of June, and then, you know, don't do anything for the rest of the year, or worse, actually actively support anti-diverse and inclusive politicians or practices or whatever. But I think that there is also a large number and a growing number of companies that are genuinely embracing this and where Pride Month is a celebration of their LGBTQ plus employees and customers and society at large, but actually they carry on beyond the confines of June and that there is a structure in place which ensures uh, diversity and inclusivity 
in the workplace, there are policies in place to prevent prejudice, where there are you know, active pride networks running throughout the year, where uh, companies are getting involved in you know, external issues and, and making the business case for diversity and inclusion you know, continuously throughout the year, whether this is in amicus briefs before uh, the court or whether it's in organizations like Open for Business or you know, uh, writing articles in the media and, and generally you know, making the case for diversity and inclusion year round. So I think there are distinctions and I hope that the companies that are genuinely embracing diversity and inclusion are the majority. I think they are certainly the growing part of this universe. And we're in a world now where, of course, with social media in particular, if you are pink washing, if you are just pretending to be diverse and inclusive for the month of June, you're going to get called out. And you're going to find that you know, social media will point out the hypocrisy of your position. And that, of course, is then very damaging to your brand. So I think that the, the number of corporates that engage in sort of this rather hypocritical pinkwashing exercise is diminishing over time. Yeah, and Paul, and perhaps if we take a step back and reflect, well, on some of the things that we've discussed before on this program, certainly that you outlined in your in your book, your recent book about the the, the economics of some of these biases. It's instructive, isn't it, to remind listeners precisely why there's not just a absolutely manifestly obvious moral and ethical case for being more inclusive in the workplace, but also an almost equally unarguable economic case. And that is, I guess, it takes in the idea that employees who are themselves and are happy and supported in their work are more efficient. But other things, the diversity of views that you have in your workplace ensures better decision making. These things are statistically provable. And it's important to underscore them because there's still a lot of laggards who don't seem to have got the message. No, absolutely. And this is, of course, one of the problems with prejudice is that Prejudice is by definition irrational. And so there will be people who don't get the message and say, no, no, I'm not going to do that for irrational reasons. And then, of course, you end up with bad economic decisions being taken because good economic decisions tend to be the rational decisions. But you're quite right. Of course, it's it's a mixture of things when we're talking about something like the LGBTQ plus community. So firstly, it is the importance of having the right people in the right job at the right time. You know, this golden mantra for the next 20 years, right person, right job, right time, is absolutely critical. And if you're going to exclude somebody because you don't like their sexuality or their gender identity, well, that's ridiculous. But then there's the second thing, that if you have an environment where you have LGBTQ plus employees, but they are closeted, they are hidden, that's exhausting to keep lying about who you are all the time, constantly thinking about what pronouns you're using when you're referencing your partner and and so on. That's very, very draining and it undermines a person's performance. So even if you have people who are hiding their sexuality in the workforce and therefore you are not being excluded on the grounds of their sexuality, they still underperform. And then, of course, you you need to have a diversity of experience sitting around the decision-making table at a time of massive change in the economy. It's really, really important to have those different opinions sat around the table examining every problem. And diversity in all its forms is therefore very, very important in making sure you get the best quality decisions. So absolutely, the, the moral arguments, the social arguments around diversity and inclusion take priority. 
But frankly, you know, in pushing for diversity and inclusion, I'll use any weapon in the arsenal available. And that will include the economic arguments as well. Paul, one other aspect I wanted to ask you about, which I thought was really interesting, actually, in this impact of corporate pride blog that you published was the, the sort of the final section you wrote about how uh, being more progressive and inclusive in this area can also help straight people out of the closet explain this because it's an interesting other but very significant corollary benefit yes so this is something i think which doesn't get perhaps quite as much attention as it should because i think it's, it's quite a compelling argument and it's something uh, called homo hysteria which is that if you have a society or a culture where being LGBTQ plus is seen as being negative, then straight people will say, I don't want to do anything which associates me with being LGBTQ plus, because if I do do that, then I will be tainted by this perceived negative perception. So to take a, a highly stereotypical example, you're a rugby player who enjoys flower arranging flower arranging stereotypically seen as being a queer pastime. So no, I'm not going to do that because I don't want to be branded as being you know, uh, gay, for example. But if you have a society where being LGBTQ plus is not seen as negative, then all of these stereotypes lose their negative connotations and people can do what they enjoy, do what they love without fear of being branded as stereotypically LGBTQ plus, and even if they are branded as being, oh, that's, that's a, an LGBTQ plus thing to be doing, you say, well, so what? That's great. And so you then get that ability to pursue what you actually want to do without the unnecessary negative stereotypes being associated with it. So, I mean, if you go back into the past, 20, 30 years ago, it was very, very common for straight people to move away from certain activities because they thought that that would brand them as being you know, gay or lesbian or, or whatever. And as the, the social stigma of being LGBTQ plus has been eroded in part through corporate action, then people are able to live their true selves and be authentic. Paul Donovan bringing us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance each week here on Monocle Radio. You can listen again and explore more at monocle.com. Why not join the club while you're there and subscribe to Monocle magazine? You can also follow this programme wherever you get your podcasts. And as ever, you can discover more and find out how UBS can help you by heading to ubs.com. This is The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening.